Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I forgot that I was sharing. I was stuck staring at these terrifying horned frog mascots. <laughs> like, I'm scared to click this middle one. I, I pulled up all three that Joe sent and, like, I keep flipping back and forth, but I'm terrified of this one. That's the guy that beat up Captain Kirk, right? In the, uh... mm-hmm. This guy's going to appear, you know, while my eyes are closed at about four in the morning. He's well, that's the one that come you, and get me. You, you wish was still around. Like, I have a three-year-old. Oh, and I, I, would, would I would love to have him, like, that mascot hold my child and take a photo. <laughs> you know, just the, the, the tears that would come immediately. <laughs> Great, great Halloween costume. That might eat your child. That could be a potential problem. These are the tales of college football past as you've never heard them before. Our guests tell stories blending team seasons, on and off field moments, memories of personal fandom catastrophe and elation, and yes, alcohol. I'm Jeremy. I'm Matt. I'm Joe. And I'm Kyle. We do the work, you tell the story. These are the college football stories. Well, I'm Jamie Plunkett. And I'm Melissa Treepwater. And we are going to tell you all about the 2014-2015 TCU Horned Frogs. So let's see. Melissa, where does the story start exactly? Because I, for me, I think it starts like leading into this into spring ball of 2014 because TCU had just non-fired their co-offensive coordinators from the last two years, right? Mm-hmm. Rusty Burns and Jared Anderson, both of whom are still on staff today. Shout out to both of them. Um, co-offensive coordinators did not go well for two years. Former offensive coordinator Justin Fuente is now the head coach at Memphis, doing his thing, about to get the head coaching job at, at Virginia Tech. Um, and so we've hired Sonny Cumbie and Doug Meacham. And so this is the storyline, right, where – we're curious to know, can this former Texas Tech quarterback and this former offensive lineman from Oklahoma State transform running back Trevon Boykin into something feasible at quarterback and salvage the offense? Because in reality, at least from my, from my memory, TCU's defense in 2012 and 2013 has still been pretty good, right? Yeah. They, I mean, you still had – you had some main players. You had some draftable guys. Um they, they had come in and shown that they could play defense at a Big 12 level and they could be competitive in the conference because of it. But the offense was light years behind. And to his credit, Gary Patterson recognized that and was willing to let somebody into his sacred room and give them the keys to the kingdom on that side of the ball, despite probably some objections within himself to doing so. Yeah, that's a really good way to describe Gary because, it's you know, anyone who's been in charge for as long as Gary Patterson has been in charge is just going to have a say no matter what. And I think to his credit at the beginning, at the end of 2013, he really looked around and said, I can't have another four and eight year. I can't have another losing record in the big 12. We've been here for two seasons. We've got two losing records. We've got to figure out a way to turn this around. 
And I can't so, have Jamie and Melissa following me on Twitter. Right. Like, man, at that point, <laughs> in 2014, look, I mean, we're going to get to a point where an article publishes on Frogs of War during the 2014 season that goes viral and takes a line off of out of Vegas. Like, Vegas pulls a line to a TCU football game because there's rumors swirling about Trevon Boykin having a broken wrist. Um, <clears throat> but... I digress because we're still in spring ball here and we're curious to know if um, like Trevon Boykin is going to be the starting quarterback or if it's going to be Texas A&M transfer Matt Jokel. Like that's where the oh offense my God. is Matt at this point, Jokel. right? Like, do you remember people? I think don't give Matt Jokel the credit that he deserves for transferring into TCU this supposed to be like highly touted next great Texas A&M quarterback because it, you know they've had so many great Texas A&M quarterbacks down there <laughs> that have all transferred away and done things other places mostly. Um, but you know, it's like okay, well, it's going to be Jokel probably. Boykin will move back to running back, maybe wide receiver, and then Trevon Boykin, like from the get go, just is out there slinging the football around. Do you remember that? For who did we even play? in that first game. Do you remember? Minnesota. It was Minnesota. And and to me, when I started to think about, it wasn't Minnesota before, it was the opener, I think. I think it was even thought, before the, the SES team. I thought, I thought well, Minnesota I was, was like the this. third. I thought we played like, we played SMU before Minnesota, I thought. That's but I thought we played what, Stanford, right? Wasn't oh, Stanford was the first game of the year? It was Stanford, S-A-M, not, Stanford. Not Stanford. Stanford. Not the tree. Sam. Yeah, not the tree. That Sam's tree there too, though. <laughs> yeah, um, that that Samford team came in, and, but it was Samford. You know, it it was Samford, mm -hmm. and I think we all thought, oh, this is fun, but this is an FCS team. Right. Like it's cool, and we like what we see, but but Minnesota was game two, and that was the game where you That's you didn't right. know a lot about Minnesota, but that was the game where you started to go, oh, we might have something here, and, and when mm -hmm. Doc. You know, the transfer from Wyoming, the local kid whose mom worked at TCU but didn't get an offer out of high school, makes that one-handed catch in the end zone. I think most TCU fans look at that singular moment, that picture that's just em emblazoned in all of our heads and said, oh, we might actually have something here, something yeah. might be special about about this team and, and this offense. Yeah, I mean, as much, as much hype as Trevon Boykin got for – essentially being the best, the most improved player in college football from 2013 to 2014, Josh Doxson was the real kind of diamond in the rough that we found in 2014. He was, un he was unguardable. He was I mean, unguardable. 6'4", 205 pounds, not the fastest guy on the field. And yet, like if he, if he was always open and on the rare occasions that he wasn't, he was just going to moss you. Like he was just going to jump yeah. six feet in the air catch the ball that Boykin had overthrown and it was going to make both of them look really, really good. Well, and, and Boykin trust the thing like Boykin since, you know, late December of 2015, you know, obviously it's been told a different story, but in 2014 and 2015, when TC was rolling and he was at the helm, what he had was that kind of that gunslinger confidence, that mentality of, not only can I make every play on the field, but I've got the dudes that will make me look good when I do it. And so yeah. I, I remember that Texas game, and, and we're jumping ahead, but that, you remember that Texas game where, where he threw it into triple coverage? 
and Doctor yes. went up and plucked the ball out of the air. It. And it's like, oh, this is yeah. not a completion. So yeah, we go. like, oh, it was just expected. Like, it, it was a ridiculous, it was a stupid decision to throw it, and it was a stupidly good catch, and everyone was just like, well, yeah, obviously that happened, like, without question. Uh, in that in that Minnesota game, Doc folded six, just six receptions for 64 yards. Like, it, it wasn't a announce yourself kind of a moment, but it was that specialness of the way that he did it that made you go, Oh, this is this is a this is a team. This is a group. This is this is this is a type of team that can give us some hope and and really deserves to compete in the Power Five level. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing about the early returns on 2014 for me is that you know TCU fans had won a Rose Bowl, like we had seen this team win a Rose Bowl in January of 2011, gone 11-2, trying to replace Andy Dalton with Casey Paul Hall in 20. Of the actual 2011 season. Um, and then they get this invite to the Big 12. They're going, you know, Chris Del Conte stands there at the podium with the TCU backdrop and says, we're coming home. We're going to the Big 12. Everything's better now. We're going to, we finally made it to the promised land. Like we've been wandering in the desert, like Moses and the Israelites for far too long. And now here we are. We're, we finally made it. Everything's great now. And then 2012, Casey Paul gets a DUI, gets kicked off the team, Red, uh, you know, freshman Trayvon Boykin scrapes together a season. We go six and seven. Paul Hall comes back in 2013, breaks his arm. Once again, we're stuck with Trayvon Boykin. We go four and eight. And so this is really, I mean, the early returns on 2014 was like, maybe we actually can compete at this level. Maybe all of the doubters who said that we were going to struggle in the Big 12, who had seen our first two seasons, maybe everybody who was kind of hating on TCU, uh, Saying, you know, just saying that this wasn't something that they had earned or deserved. Maybe they were finally going to shut up because that went, I mean, it's still, it's just a win over Minnesota at this point, right? Where we are in this conversation, but yeah. it was a convincing enough win. And it looked like Gary had, had made some really good decisions about the coordinators that he had brought in to fix this offense. Yeah. We always know yeah. that the defense is going to be really good under Gary Patterson. He's not going to let it get bad. That's just how that goes. And in all of 2014, that was once again the case. But the offense, just how dynamic. I mean, you've got Josh Doxson. You had Colby Lissenby. Um, was Turpin on that team yet? Or was that, I think Gavante Turpin was a freshman. Uh, no, he, he or was that 2015? Freshman, yeah. Because I, I, I think Gavante Turpin like, had a four-touchdown game against Kansas, right? Or something. Sounds right to me. I can, I can, I can pull that up. Maybe against Texas. Uh, I think he had. A, I think yeah, true it was freshman. I think true freshman Cavante Turpin had like a four touchdown game against Texas. Twenty fourteen was not twenty fourteen. It was he was twenty. He was twenty fifteen. Was it? Oh, he was twenty fifteen. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. So I take it all back. Was was it kind of a a nice departure to leave the uh, a quarterback who was having major like you know selling drug type issues. Uh, to a nice no, 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 clean did not sell that. Yeah, did let's, not let's back that. up. Let's but back I up. Make, so yeah, I want to make sure that's really clear. Paul let's Hall, talk Paul about Paul the addiction problem. TCU yeah. drug test. Let's do that for a second because there are some details that always get confused, and I feel obligated to clarify for folks. Um, four players got kicked off the football team for selling marijuana. Okay, it was Tanner Brock who was the other linebacker. Uh, 
you know, everybody talks about Tank Carter and the immaculate deflection in the 2011 Rose Bowl, right? Uh, that final block of the two-point conversion that everyone doesn't understand why Brett Bielema threw the ball. Whatever. Tanner Brock was the other linebacker. He got arrested and thrown off the team. Three other guys got arrested and thrown off the team for selling weed. Casey Pahal was not one of them. Casey Pahal got arrested for a DUI in 2012, went to rehab, got himself clean, came back to the team in 2013, and against Southeastern Louisiana, got tackled late on the sideline and broke his arm and was out for the season. So he never had any drug stuff on his record. Now, did he smoke weed? Probably. But he was not he was not a part of the infamous drug bust where after which Gary Patterson drug tested the whole team. And and also the one thing I do <laughs> want to talk about with Paha is um Gary Patterson is not a perfect human being by any stretch mm-hmm. of the imagination. But one thing that I've always respected about him is that he has the ability to know the difference between a kid that has a problem and a kid that is a problem. And he's gotten he's kicked kids Devontae Fields was freshman of the year in the in uh, in the conference was was looking like an all American, got kicked off the team for doing something pretty terrible, you know, to like threatening a, a female with a gun. Like he's gotten rid of really talented players. Paha was a kid with a problem, not a kid that was a problem. And instead of kicking off the team and and sending him in a spiral of of uh, addiction and abuse, he kept him in the on at TCU. He kept him on scholarship. He made sure the guy graduated. Casey's now, you know, has a, a career and a wife, and I think he's a father. He was able to get out of this spiraling addiction issue. Like, I think he was, I would say he was an alcoholic, and I, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, and Patterson, instead of giving up on him, didn't, you know, kept him around close enough, made him go to rehab, made him get his life together. And, and I think that that's uh, an important distinction. Um, there, there are guys, like, there are people that you need to give a second chance and you need to, to, to rescue, and then there are people that you need to get out of your program before they make things worse. And I think Casey was a guy that needed a, a, a father figure, needed a, an adult in his life to say, you're better than this, and we want to help you get better. Um, yeah. and, and I think a lot of the reason why Casey's a well-adjusted, successful adult now is because Gary recognized what he needed and, and made sure that he got it. It's 40 not 4, right, Melissa? Exactly. That's 40 not 4. At TCU. We're here for, we're family. We're not just here for four years. We're here for we're here for the rest of your life. We're gonna we're gonna be together, and we're gonna make sure that we've got your back, no matter what. Uh, yeah, I think here's the thing about Casey Paul This is a, a tangent. Uh, I stand by the idea that he would be the best quarterback in TCU history if he doesn't get arrested for a DUI. Yeah, that dude had a cannon for an arm. Yeah, an absolute rocket. So, what happens? <laughs> but we digress. We digress. Question: What? What? So forty? Uh, yeah. Turn sixty-five. You've graduated college, and your forty years are up. Like TCU, just punch you to the curb. Yeah, yeah that's, that's all you get. It. Like after that forty years, uh, I mean, you know, no, I, I think I think it really. Look, if you don't have your shit together by the program, time you're sixty-five, yeah, it's over. But I, but I think if you look at, like, longevity of coaches and programs, not many coaches can say, I built a program, I stayed to make sure it stayed good, I have a statue out in front, and I'll leave when I damn well feel like it. And the, the familial culture around TCU is, 
is probably very similar to, to what it is at Alabama with Nick Saban. I mean, I think he's done a great job of making sure his alumni and his, the guys in his program feel like there's always an open door to come home. And, and I think that's really important to Gary. Um, again, he's made mistakes. You know, he, he, he made some this year. But at the end of the day, more of his players, like, stand up for him, respect him, talk about the influence that he had on them as, as a strong male figure in their lives. I think he does try to do the right thing. He's cantankerous and grumpy, and he can be tough on the media, and he can be secretive and conspiracy theorist and all of that. But at the end of the day, I, I do think he genuinely cares about his kids, and, and fo college football isn't just the machine to him all the time. You know, I, I think to a degree it is to all of them, but um, I do think he wants it to be more than just what happens on Saturdays, and, and he's built a culture around that. So where were we? You know, when – we're, so I, we, we were, were talking on about the Turbin defense. We getting had four touchdowns in a game in 2014. Yeah, but in 2015, unfortunately, this, yeah, so. it didn't happen. Um, but I, I do want to talk about Oops. the defense a little bit as we start mm -hmm. to progress through this. Um, you know, I think TCU arrived with a ready-made defense that was effective in the Big 12 because their their uh, history of recruiting quarterbacks and running backs and turning them into defensive ends and linebackers that terrorize people worked really well in the past heavy mm -hmm. offenses against the Big 12. And being undersized and fast was a really effective strategy. And so the 4-2-5 was, was pretty seamless defensively. There were some games where turnovers and stuff caught them. But at the end of the day, from day one, this was one of the, the conference's best defenses and consistently did so. Um, you know, they gave up 14 points against Stanford in 2014 and in garbage time, holding Minnesota, which, again, was, was a power of five team that, that I think ended right on the cusp of the rankings um, in, in 2014, held them to seven. And then SMU, uh, the SMU game, we, we roll into Dallas um, on a Saturday and just destroy SMU, which is still a couple of years away from, from being relevant again like they are now. Um, but roll them 56 to zero. And at that point, with number three Oklahoma coming to town the following week, uh, I think that, that that's when we all kind of took that, that moment of going, oh shit, we might have something here. Yes. And, and SME was bad, but it was still like 56 to nothing. You didn't see those football games at TCU. That just was not a thing that happened regularly for TCU offensively or defensively. So that, that and then Oklahoma's coming to town, and for the first time, you're really feeling like you're in a position to to do something massive on the national scale. I totally agree. You know, I mean, Gary Patterson's mantra has always been win by one. You don't need to win by 56. You just need to win by one. Um, and so I like, yeah, the, the SMU game. That and 40, was, not four. It, yes. All right. So there are two <laughs> mantras. <laughs> Maybe three. The I mantras. don't lose track occasionally. But Go Frogs. That's our drinking yeah. game. How many mantras does Gary Patterson have? Oh gosh, quips. He we did took a hashtag series one time. I, uh, we we can get to hashtag bright side when we start talking about the Alamo Bowl. That's, that's more baseball though, isn't it? I mean that that hashtag bright side spawned from the baseball team, or was it just a baseball player? The baseball team during it spawned from the baseball team during a football game. That's so, right. The we are going to talk about yeah. the Alamo Bowl later, though. Yeah. Okay. Oh, got to remember the Alamo yeah. Bowl. Both times. Remember both Alamo Bowls. <laughs> both Alamo. Uh, yeah. Because I'll it's TCU's. If if Gary Patterson has a third mantra, it is the black shirt wasn't working. So, um, <laughs> but Oklahoma, right? So this game, Melissa, I think. So this uh, is pre Frogs of War being credentialed. 
So yeah. I am sitting in my se- season tickets in the 400 levels of the stadium with my oxygen tank because I'm so high yeah. up. Twe- like with my extra battery charger plugged into my phone so that I, my phone yeah. won't die as I'm trying to live tweet the game from space, basically. And <laughs> like, I just remember Oklahoma ranked number four, TCU ranked 24. And the vibe in the stadium was like, we're going to win this football game. Yeah. Like to me, everyone in that football stadium was so confident that the frogs were going to win. It was weird because normally going into big games, like you think about uh, Utah in 2011, when we sold out the stadium and just absolutely whipped them the first time we got game day uh, or BYU um, that double overtime comeback win, all these big games that TCU has had in recent history. It's always been like, God, I hope we don't blow it. But in this game, I just remember walking into the stadium and it was like, no, we're going to win today. It's going to happen today. And it was back and forth. And obviously Oklahoma wasn't very good that year as it turned out, but that Paul Dawson pick six. Never heard it louder. That is the loudest it has ever been in that football stadium. Because I mean, who, who was it? Landry, Uh, Landry, Trevor Knight. That's right. It was Trevor Knight. Trevor Knight. Just doesn't see PJ, I guess. He didn't see Uh, his receivers very often either. That's fair. Yeah, I really miss him. Trevor Knight, good human being, really subpar quarterback. Yeah. That's fair. Everybody's got flaws. Um, His was throwing a football. Bad. Bad career move on his part. One game against Alabama. (laughs) Yep. Fair. True. Four quarters for the first time in his life. Get him those smelling salts again, right? Like, what was in those? But uh, I'm glad he had the ones on the sideline that he did uh, in September against TCU because he threw that ball like it was meant for Paul Dawson. Like he threw it directly to that man. And Paul did not even hesitate to just run that thing untouched into the end zone. And, you know, Rob Gilmore on the call. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Melissa talks about converted offensive players on that defense alone. You've got Paul Dawson. who used to be a wide receiver. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't Sam Carter. A safety on that team, former quarterback. quarterback. He, yeah, he was a quarterback. Yeah, he was a quarterback. He was probably the smartest safety mm-hmm. TCU has ever had. Um, Arkansas coach Sam Carter now, right? Arkansas yes, Arkansas, Arkansas defensive backs coach Sam Carter. Um, he, I mean, that that Oklahoma game was the the kind of the just the the chip that TCU fans needed to be able to play to say, screw everyone else, we belong here. Because all of the momentum that had been building up, beating the crap out of Samford, beating uh, Minnesota, absolutely pantsing iron skillet rival SMU, like none of those are going to lend credibility to a TCU fan's argument against other Big 12 schools. But beating number four Oklahoma and doing so not by like a huge margin, but in pretty impressive fashion with a defense that was just smothering like that really for TCU fans was the first feather in the cap other than a win against Texas that said, and that fourth quarter should be here. Yeah. That when, when Paul Dawson gets that pick six to, to put TCU on top, 
what the defense did the rest of that fourth quarter, um, you know, oh. these two teams, two teams that had been tied at the end of every frame. And mm-hmm. the only reason Oklahoma scored in that fourth quarter is because TCU got the extra point blocked or whatever, and they ran it back for a two-point conversion. Um, there were two drives late in the fourth quarter where the TCU defense basically just put their hand up and said, not today, mother effers, like not today. And mm-hmm. I don't think there was a single person in the stands who didn't know that those stops weren't going to happen. It was, it was unquestionable. Once Paul Dawson scored, we all knew without a shadow of a doubt TC was going to win that game. And I, yeah. I think we had a little bit closer seat to the action than Jamie. Um, we, we were down in the end zone, um, the opposite end zone of where, where, where Paul uh, ran that one in. So we were there on the, on the defensive side. And after, at the end of that game, I had, ne- I had never rushed the field before. And I was a full grown adult at that point. And, and my friends that I was sitting with, we were like, we are, ru- we are jumping this fence and we are rushing the field. And, we jumped over. She ended up tearing her patella. Um, we found out oh. later, but it was worth Medication. it. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah she, we we all were like, we're going. And she's like, I'm going. And she jumped down. She's like, oh, I think I hurt something. I was like, well, okay. And she's like, no, I'm still going. I was like, all right. Um, and, and I have a picture with uh, with Crystal Conti in the end zone that I think is still my my frog door profile picture. But uh, it's the definition it of leaving it all it on the field. It's true. Really, I mean, legitimately. It was as good as I've ever felt outside of walking out of the Rose Bowl in, in January 1st, 2011. The best I've ever felt at a sporting event. And that feeling lasted for six days. And then the yeah. worst I've ever felt I, walking out of I a sporting event happened. So I was at that game, too, and I was in the, the donor seats because I've got a buddy that, that uh, hooked me up every now and again. And we went to the game with him. And one of my, uh, my most favorite parts about the game because the ending wasn't great for me as an Oklahoma fan was when there was a fourth down play and I started to yell and scream because I wanted to motivate the fans to yell and scream and they did and I thought that was very funny because it was a fourth down play where TCU was supposed to be trying to play offense and you shouldn't be yelling and screaming when your team is on the field playing offense but they were so excited that TCU was going to go for it on fourth down, that they were yelling, screaming, cheering, all, all the, the snaps trying to go. Listen, look, fun. first of listen, all, Oklahoma fan, thanks for screwing up that season and not finishing ranked and really screwing us over. Because if Oklahoma had finished in the top 15 like they should have, then TCU's in the, TCU wins the national playoffs. championship that year. So really, this is all Kyle's fault is what I'm learning. All but, Kyle's fault used to that i also will say have you ever i mean the the one of the famous forrest gump quotes i'm not a smart man that's pretty much tcu fans like they we are easily we are easily led astray okay we've never you guys been there know before. what love is we do know what love is and love looks a lot like gary patterson most days unless he's blocked you on twitter so but like i here's the here's the here's one of the hazards though of being a TCU fan. And I think it's kind of where Melissa was about to take things before we, we swerved a little bit. And that's, you can never get comfortable as a TCU fan. I don't know if it's just like we have embodied kind of the, the way that our coach moves throughout this world, but you can never be too comfortable or too confident because things like, beating Oklahoma in 2005 and then losing to SMU will happen to you. 
being one of the top eight teams in the country and then losing because your kicker misses three field goals in Salt Lake City the year that Utah goes on to win the Sugar Bowl over Alabama, that will happen to you too, right? So like there is never a, a reason to be overconfident or too comfortable. And yet in 2014, after beating Oklahoma at home and jumping into the, I think we, we jumped to like eight, maybe nine in the rankings after that win, five and oh, man, you couldn't touch us. We were untouchable. And then October 11th happens. And the reason I remember that it's October 11th is because that's my birthday. So <laughs> on Happy my birthday. birthday, thank you. I didn't know that. I didn't know Belated. that. Oh, no. Yes. So on my birthday, we play our most hated rival, the Baylor Bears. And that's really all we need to say about that game. And now we can move on to the rest of the season. Hmm. Yeah, I so, don't think so. so. That, uh, Oklahoma State, another ranked opponent. Um, we won that game. Won all the rest of them. The fire, we, we won. Fireworks get Texas at. We know, won every as, football. As a listener, you accidentally hit the fast forward button. So let's <laughs> yeah, hit the back button yeah, a couple um, times. Let me just tell you. I don't know if you've had much experience with Baylor fans. Um, I have never liked Baylor well before TCU is a Big 12 team uh, because they are jerks. And I've, it's gotten a little bit better. Um, I will say I, I'm a little friendlier with them now these days. But back then, um, the hatred was very real between these two programs. And we go to the game, and I'm going to be honest, I've been drinking a little bit. Tailgating team down in Waco isn't great. And so maybe we were slamming dark and stormies in the parking lot of the gas station where we parked. Maybe we weren't. No one can say for sure. Um, but, uh, we walk in the stadium feeling really good and really confident and the first three quarters of play tell us that things are going to be just fine. And there was a, a lady sitting behind me and I was cheering and exuberant and I don't think I was inappropriate, but, uh, her and I got into it a couple of times just, just with some commentary about the game and things that were going on. And we all kind of knew our brow sucked at that point, but we didn't know how badly yet. So maybe there were some comments again, hard to say, well, Cannot confirm or deny. Hits. Cannot confirm or deny. Fourth quarter hits and uh, uh, things start to turn. And there's some, some no calls and some questionable calls and some bad play calls and some bad defense. And all of a sudden that, that big three touchdown lead is slowly but surely shrinking and TCU can't do anything right on offense. And and this woman is just starting to get after me and get into me a little bit. And I get real quiet. Like, I'm I'm a smart fan. I'm not a typical TCU fan. And I know when it's time to shut my mouth and when things are probably not going our way. And I recognize pretty early in that fourth quarter that this game was not going to be one I wanted to remember. And uh, uh, she she's really getting after me at that point. And so the the kick goes up. The, the It's tied at 58. And they're taking a field goal. as time's expiring. And I knew the moment it left this kid's foot that it was good. And so I turn around and I just walk out and she, she starts calling after me and is, uh, uh, just kind of saying like, Hey, Hey, but like, you want to talk now? You want to, it's just like, she's just threatening me and coming after me. I just left, left my stuff, everything, walk out. Oh, she just D left. Just like right, right now. She left right now. <laughs> that's the Baylor game. Yeah. Life really imitates art. art. That's all you need to know. Um, so, uh, until uh, as Melissa tries to reconnect, I'll I get, I'll give you guys uh, kind of a rundown of my experience with the Baylor game. So, I 
for all of your listeners uh, to know is I am a youth minister. Okay. And I have been a youth minister at a variety of uh, two churches uh, in my, in my time as an ordained minister. And so I, on my birthday, October 11th, the day that TCU is going to wake out to play the hated Baylor bears am at church camp with about a hundred congregants of mine that are ready for a wonderful weekend of spiritual retreat and restoration and refreshment. And it's going to be great. And TCU plays Baylor that weekend. And I'm sitting here trying to figure out a way to be able to watch this football game because I can't be in Waco every time I'm at our church ground, which is frequently as a youth minister, TCU loses the football game. So I'm trying desperately to not do any of the normal things that I do at camp to try and just inspire because clearly I'm the jinx, right? Like every every fan thinks that, oh, if I don't wear the right shirt or sit in the right spot, like I'm going to affect the feng shui of my football team and they're going to poop their pants and fall down. So I'm in a higher power and superstition. Like you don't step on the foul line. You don't, right? Like it's sports. It's like the string theory or whatever. You've hit a string wrong and all the other strings go out of, out of whack. And so I am just desperately trying to find a way to be able to watch this game on my phone while, you know, like leading a Bible study and doing all of the pastoral things that I'm there that weekend to do. And I see TCU get out to this huge lead. And I'm thinking, great. I don't even have to worry. We're absolutely pantsing them. We're going to be 6-0. and We're on our way to a Big 12 championship in our third year in the league, which would be as many as Texas A&M had since 1994. Like, we're doing great here as Texas Struck that string loudly. It's good. And, you know, so I check back in. I've got it playing on my phone, and I kind of check back in. It's like, oh, Baylor, Baylor scored a touchdown. Okay, well, that is what it is. Going about doing my thing, checking, oh, Baylor scored again. All right, well, I'm a little nervous now just because, you know, you never want to see Baylor doing anything well. And all of a sudden, it gets to the point where it's like 6.45 at night. I'm leading large group games, minute-to-win-it games with my whole church group that's at camp like a hundred people in 15 minutes and Baylor is lining up to kick a field goal to go ahead 61 to 58. They make the field goal. TCU gets the ball. Blatant pass interference goes uncalled. Awful. You, I mean, you can go back and watch it. It was like, it was terrible. That was one of the most horrific no calls I've ever witnessed in college football. That and like, the yard, yard, like the fourth down measurement in Ohio State, Michigan, it's up there with that. Like, up with just bad no calls or bad missed calls. So that happens. And then I have to walk into a room of people and lead minute to win it games, flicking shoes on the table, setting up paper cups to like flick MMs into them and like be happy and high energy. And just, it's my birthday, right? Like, this is the worst birthday I could have possibly imagined for myself. And that's my, that's, see, that's my Baylor experience. Just generally with Baylor, it's like everything that could be good in this world is just not because Baylor exists. That's kind of my take. And even in 2014, like, arguably one of the best years in TCU football history, Baylor just exists and everything feels not as good as it could be. Baylor did get um, 
their comeuppance, though, in their bowl game, the Cotton Bowl against Michigan State that year, because they all talked about for the rest, back half of the football season, like, oh, well, it's because TCU fans are saying that they collapsed and it's more about the team that works hard to come back. And we worked so hard to come back and we won that game. TCU didn't lose that game. We won that game. And then Michigan State down four touchdowns in the third quarter. First of all, murders Baylor's kicker and then goes on to actually come back and win that football game. And all of these Baylor fans are now like, oh, well, we lost that game. Michigan State didn't win that game. It's like, oh, hmm. hypocrites have come to play. Well, they sold their soul. They sold their soul <laughs> to football true. success. Welcome back, Melissa. Yeah, we found my, you. My, sorry, my AirPods died. Yeah, my AirPods died, and I had to scramble uh, for new things. Interesting. Yeah. Your story so I, about how I just <laughs> left and I left everything, and then and then click. It was yeah. the perfect time. Yeah. You know, there are different and honestly, ways. That's kind of how it went for me. So, <laughs> I mean, there are different ways that a football program can respond to success, and I think that TCU and Baylor present different ways of responding to success because Baylor, like you said, they got there and all of a sudden it's like, okay, you're unbearable. You were unbearable before when you were bad, just cause you were Baylor. And now, now you're, thank you. Now you're just the worst human beings that we could possibly imagine. Like you're terrible people and you're supporting a terrible human being in our Riles, and you have no conscience about it whatsoever. And then you have, and obviously this is an unbiased opinion from me, um, but then you have TCU where it's like, even when you were successful, people still said it wasn't good enough. And so you always kind of had this chip on your shoulder being in the whack, being in the Mountain West, accepting an invitation to the Big East. Shout out to Big East TCU. Um, lasted all of like 30 days or whatever it was. But like everything that you did along the way to say, look, we are worthy of being considered equal. No, it's not good enough yet. You played Wyoming and San Diego State and Colorado State and New Mexico. Like you're you're not beating us, so you're not worth it yet. And so now to get to the Big Twelve and to be a Rose Bowl champion, to have been to the Fiesta Bowl, and you know going to the Rose Bowl meant that TCU is one of the few teams in the history of college football to go to all six of the BCS bowls in their team's history. Right? Like that's an accomplishment to be uh, like named and and appreciated. I think. And now you've got your 5-0 and finally in your third season in the Big 12. You've got all of the momentum on the planet. People are like, all right, there might, they might be – this might be the year that TCU actually proves us all wrong. And then you lose that football game. Like, it's just – like, it still makes me stick, sick to my stomach to think that that game is the reason that TCU doesn't have a national championship right now. Because TCU wow. absolutely – would have won the national championship in 2014. There is no doubt in my mind. No, no doubt. But here, but here's the thing: is that a lot of programs that had been through what you just so eloquently described, that had suffered the way that TCU fans have suffered, that had been wandering in the desert for 40 years, go out and they lose their next game at Oklahoma, you know against Oklahoma mm-hmm. State, against number 15 Oklahoma State. Um, TC goes out and responds and and gets hit in the mouth and gets back up off the mat. And I think it would have been really, really easy to just roll over at that point and say, well, we tried and it didn't work, but they didn't. The, the team had a lot of character. And if you look back over the roster and the guys that were in this program at that time, 
um, it, it's just high character guy after high character guy. I mean, mm-hmm. Derek Kindred and and Dawson and Marcus Mallet and you know Aaron Greens is a good dude. There's just a lot of those. Josh Boston, Chucky Hunter, guy. Chucky Hunter, such a good like. Love and, Chuck. And so they instead of wallowing in self pity, which the fan base was certainly doing, mm-hmm. they quickly made us realize that this wasn't over yet. And and I think at that point, we all still thought we were probably a college playoff level program because of what they came back and did to, to Oklahoma State and then what they did to Texas Tech a week later and literally running out of fireworks because they scored 82 points. Yes. And then let's, the, let's... the way that we won – yeah, you want to talk about that one? That was yeah, I want to talk. I want to talk about, about both one. those games. I want to talk about both those games for a second because there were iconic moments. I think if, if we're talking about the TCU's 2014 season on the whole, there are, there are iconic moments that happened in both of those games. First of all, you know TCU beats Oklahoma State 42 to nine. So they come out a week later. They are pissed. They're they're just they're going to run Oklahoma State over. Everyone can feel it coming, and it happens in the most 2014 TCU way where. Josh, Josh, no, Trevon Boykin makes an ill-advised pass to Josh Doxson, who is firmly covered, and Doxson just jumps up, catches the football, dodges two people, and runs into the end zone for like a 75-yard touchdown. And at that moment, everyone's like, all right, TCU's back up off the mat. Now let's see what they can do. So they beat Oklahoma State 42-9, to and then we go into that Texas Tech game. Who's their quarterback, by the way, Melissa? Who was the starting quarterback for Texas Tech in that football game? Do we remember? Oh, that that was Patrick Mahomes. That was Patrick Mahomes. You know the reason I remember that? Yeah. Because his dad got arrested for drunk and disorderly in the stands. He sure did. <laughs> he sure <laughs> did. TCU's claim Patty to fame Mahomes. in 2014 is not Trevon Boykin. It is not Josh Doxson. It's not the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. It is the fact that Patrick Mahomes' father got arrested in our football stadium. That's a win. So, you know, TCU – plays Patrick Mahomes and Cliff Kingsbury and Texas Tech and it's like coach cool guy against kind of you know weird Gary Patterson and like if you have if you have ever seen an offensive display from a TCU football team it happened in this game scoring 82 points like Melissa said literally running out of fireworks and not just fireworks for the game it was like oh hey we scored 40 points we ran out of fireworks for the game i right, just grab the grab the fireworks for next week just in case we score again we ran out of fireworks for the rest of the season because tcu <laughs> scored 82 points in this football game now tech scored 27 we don't like to talk about that a whole lot but like if there was ever a moment where you're you know you beat oklahoma state you're like okay they're back up off the mat it's like you beat you beat a conference rival 82 to 27 show no mercy with that regard it's like okay now they're out for blood now these guys are so pissed off that they might just absolutely run the table and not even look back for a single second and that's kind of what happened i mean there were some close wins along the way there at the end but for the rest of the season the mantra was kind of like screw it we've already lost a football game now we've got to prove to everyone else that we can still win this whole thing and that we still belong again. We, we're comfortable in this situation. We're comfortable being doubted. So let's go out and let's prove everyone wrong again. Gary and Patterson, mantra number four, screw it. Screw it. <laughs> no, Gary Patterson, mantra number four, especially when it comes to Texas Tech, is speed, baby. Okay. The real culprit, I think, of that Texas Tech football game in 2014 
and just tech generally and maybe even beyond is Cliff Kingsbury. Because let's talk about him for a second. He had Baker Mayfield. He had Patrick Mahomes. And in, in Arizona, he's got Kyler Murray. And the man has never won more than eight games with any of those quarterbacks in any single season. He, has he never had Holly Saunders, too. He's never won more than eight games. <laughs> maybe it's him. Maybe it's not the quarterbacks. Maybe it's him. Have you ever heard of DeAndre Hopkins? I think that's one of the receivers <laughs> over there. <laughs> yeah, like another like Larry guy. His name starts with an L. I know that. Larry <laughs> Fitzgerald, right? Yeah, but Cliff has a sweet house, so. He's got a really good haircut. And he's pretty. He's like pretty. I'm sorry. Like, as the one female in the room here, I just need to point out that is an attractive man. He's good looking. Yeah, Nobody's no, denying. No argument. He's so good looking. Yeah. On his worst day, he's better looking than I will ever even think about being. Yeah, he's a certified man, Rocket. And he well, that, has, in his defense, also the found man. the most incredible way of failing forward. Like the guy, the guy got fired from Texas Tech and then now is a head coach in the NFL. Yeah. He can't lose, but he also can't win. He yeah. almost became your best friend in 2014, too, when they, they almost beat Baylor at the end of the year, right? Didn't Mahomes throw for like 600? He popped off that yeah. game. If they win that football game, it's not like I think, I don't know, TC probably still doesn't get in because Ohio State did. Yeah. You know, Wisconsin rolls over in the Big Ten championship, but. You know. I think the big problem there was that Mahomes was just a system quarterback, you know, clearly tech, obviously not any good. Right. You know, big the ball. system you know, quarterbacks can only go so far without a system. Frankly. <laughs> um, yeah. As, so, as Mahomes so, has so clearly proven. <laughs> as much as I would love to sit here and talk about Texas Tech. Uh, incompetency because it is a favorite subject of mine. Um, I, I do want to, I don't want to gloss over the West Virginia game because I okay. think that's an important one in the legend of Jaden Um Speaking of good dudes, high character dudes on that team, uh, Jaden yes. Jaden is among the best. Um, Absolutely. Exceptional human being. Um, done a lot for me, um, worked with my students, all kinds of, like, this, this dude gave up a pro career to, to teach kids how to kick in Arlington. Uh, he's a good dude. Um, I Like, all I'll say about that game is, is that was one of those, West Virginia was ranked, this was a, a, a weather game, it was a, a tough environment, playing in Morgantown is is as tough of a road game as you're going to face in the Big 12, um, and, and Jaden hits a kick you know, really, really late in the fourth quarter. There was a lot of things that happened that game, but the, the thing that I always remember that cake, I was, I was back in California, I was visiting my, my family, and uh, I, I was sitting on the couch watching the game, and I think I just fell forward when the kick went through the uprights and just sheer relief, like just fell on my yeah. face. Um, just with just sheer relief of this was the one that I thought we might lose. This, this was the one that would end the dream, and – that was just a real like TC blew out a lot of teams in 2014, but that was one of those just real gritty performances that reminded you that that they could win ugly if they needed to, which would come in handy when they played Kansas. Mm-hmm. Um, the only other time they were really tested that season, oddly enough, but uh, it, it was a uh, winning on the road in Morgantown is not an easy thing to do, especially with with some weather and and seeing Jaden hit that kick is kind of a signature moment of that season was. It was one of the highlights for me, for sure. Yeah. TCU had three wins that year that were by less than 10 points. And it was Oklahoma, and West Virginia, and Kansas. Kansas. 
because for some reason, maybe that's why you didn't make the playoff. (laughs) (laughs) But it was at Kansas. So look, here's the thing. Lawrence and Morgan all the same same road chess. Honestly, if you're a TCU fan, they feel incredibly similar. Uh, Ames, Morgantown, Lawrence. Lawrence. All one and the same. It just rolls um, off the tongue. You know, it just feels natural. feels good this way. keeps you on your toes, right? Like I, like I said earlier, you can never get too high as a TCU fan because, like, there's always a Kansas just lurking around the corner. Um, that, that was the uh, Cameron Eccles Looper punt return, right? Yes, it was. That saved our entire season. Now, former head coach or former uh, offensive coach, coach, running backs coach, Curtis Looper, offensive coordinator at Missouri now, where former TCU four-star quarterback Sean Robinson is now a linebacker. Is that right? Yeah, he's he's a linebacker. Or no, no, he's a cornerback, I think, or safety. He's safety with an interception. He had more interceptions caught as a defensive back this year than he had completions thrown as a quarterback, I believe. Something like that. Is the stat I saw. That's how TC recruits quarterbacks in a nutshell. Um, But yes. So TCU, what we've beaten West Virginia by a field, by a point, I believe, right. Win by one. Gary Patterson's mantra. 31 to 30 in Morgantown. We come away with a win. Everything is great. The one loss season is still intact. I'm fairly certain we put someone in the dirt between West Virginia and Kansas. I can't remember who it was. Kansas State. That that game. That was a top 10 game. Is that Boykin Flip? Was was that the Boykin Flip game? That was the Boykin Flip. That was the night game, the Thursday night game uh, with the all black uniforms and the Boykin Flip. Aaron Green's like 65 yard touchdown run where he Mm -hmm. dodges, dips, ducks, dives, and dodges. Yes. Like actually. The score 65. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sideline to sideline and 65 yep. yards downfield. Um, by uh, Gary Patterson and Patches O'Houlihan. Yes. Patches O'Houlihan. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a safety. Um, Macho number 50. Five. But who's, <laughs> five. But who's counting? But who's counting? Nobody's yeah. counting. Uh, I'm on bourbon number four. So I'm on bourbon number five. So, you know, it's appropriate to have a mantra per bourbon, I believe. So TCU is it's a, it's a relatively close football game. I think I believe this happened in the second half. Melissa, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, it, it was. It was. It was late. It was kind of lateish in the game. Like nobody wanted him in the game still. And then when he flipped, we all thought he was dead, and we were not happy. Mm-hmm. And it's like Matt Jokel's already torn his ACL at this point, so we don't even know who the third yeah. string quarterback is. Um, yeah, shout out, uh, shout out to Matt Jokel for the second time on this uh, show because not only did the guy push Trevon Boykin in spring football to actually become a, a workable starting quarterback at the power five level, but he came in for like two plays against SMU when we were winning and Taurus ACL and was out for the season. So yeah. Matt Jokel, the ultimate sacrifice, um, best backup quarterback in TCU history. Also in this Kansas state game, like it was okay. TCU's rolling. It's a night game in under the lights in the Carter ESPN. Please don't blow it. You know, we talked about the Oklahoma game. Like, we knew we were going to win that game. Kansas State was like a please don't blow it situation. Trevon Boykin, just Josh Doxson, Aaron Green, the big three just absolutely run all over Kansas State. And then we get to this point where it's like 
13, 14-yard line, red zone play. Boykin drops back, scrambles up the middle. A linebacker and a safety converge on him at the goal line, and he jumps, gets clipped in both of his legs, does a full forward flip like a plank. Like he doesn't, his body doesn't bend at all. He just, like, his legs are straight in the air, and he just swings over and, like, lands on his back in the end zone, holds onto the football. Everyone's freaking out. They're like, is he dead? Did the touchdown count also? That's important. Um, and that goes down in TCU. What, like is, what is the score from the Russian judge? Uh, it was a yeah. touchdown. It was, even yeah, the, it was even a the Russian judge deny. could not deny which, that uh, he had which broken the play. The importance the, there. Like, have, have, you, have you ever... Him being ever alive, I think. Yeah. Have, have you ever been in a stadium where, like, everyone's collectively holding their breath, and then that moment that you realize everything's okay? Like, just that... that like, there's the feeling of pulling off a big upset. There's the, the feeling of the Utah game or, or the, the Oklahoma game or whatever. There's the feeling of the Baylor game. But that moment when you see your star player go airborne and mm-hmm. land flat on his back and everyone in the stadium heard the sound because we were all holding our breath and then that that exhale of 50,000 people on a, at a night game where everyone's super liquored up like i'll never forget what that moment felt like i think i snuck into the student section to go visit a friend or something at that point and just all of us were just like <gasps> mm-hmm. and it was just it was a neat it was a really there were so many of those memorable like two seconds you know just those, those simple little moments that, that you look back on and you, you think, man, like like the, the defining moments of a season, I think, are just really special in a special year like like 2014 was. In classic TC yeah. fashion, if Boykin would have gotten up, it was future wide receiver Zach Allen was the backup that year. Who, of course it was. Yeah, who then, who then right. immediately became a wide receiver a year later. <laughs> You'd love to see it. To TCU, I don't think, right? Zach Allen, didn't he transfer out? Didn't he, didn't he the one that transferred yeah, to Rutgers? Was. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Rutgers. Yeah. What a season. I, I would say that we should talk about beating Texas, but back then beating Texas just wasn't that big of a deal. Still I mean, it still isn't. Right? We're 7-2 yeah, against Texas. That, that was a, the, can't the beat K-State, but where... can beat Texas. I don't know yeah. what it is. Texas is back, right? Back to being our doormat. Yeah. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about Texas. was the quarterback that year. I'm going to take two seconds. about Texas? I'm going to take two seconds. I'm going to put my little soapbox on the floor. I'm going to stand on it. When the when the Longhorns hired Charlie Strong, who I adore desperately, I think he's great. They looked at his resume and they said, isn't this wonderful? He's going to do so many incredible things for us. This is amazing. He's going to be awesome. He was not awesome. They were terrible. Then they hire Tom Herman. They look at his resume. A resume that I might add, was identical to Charlie Strong's. And they say, isn't he wonderful? He's done so many great things. He's going to be wonderful for us. And he was better than Charlie Strong. But like barely. Right? They won the Sugar Bowl over an uninspired Georgia team. That was that was the pinnacle of Tom Herman's career. That and mocking someone on the Maryland sideline after they beat him for the second time in a row, I believe. So like, and now they've got Steve Sarkeesian. It's like, okay. Look at his resume. He was great at USC. Not really. Look at he was he resurrected Washington. Yeah, it's it's Washington. But he was the offensive coordinator at Alabama. Yeah, he had Mac Jones and Devontae Smith and Najee Harris 
And all five of those linemen, I believe, are going to be drafted. Texas fans, just stop. That's why that is wonderful. I'm yeah. standing back. They really got to wonder what their mantras are. They don't have any Ford, mantras. They just like have boosters. Have that get gas, Talk no bad about Texas. All gas, no <clears throat> Everybody Such a talking dumb mantra. Daniel, Kevin Samuel just airballed a free throw. There's our mantra. Um, can we talk about all gas, no breaks? Like, I understand wanting to go quickly, but I feel like all gas, no breaks is a really unsafe way to live. And I don't feel it's an appropriate mantra for young people. I'm just throwing that out there. It's just not. It's not the move. It's not the move, Steve. It's just not. We have our first mantra removal of the night. Yeah, this is a mantra rebuttal. Rebuttal? We're a pro mantra university over here. Yeah, pro mantras. Strong and Tom Herman, I just got to throw this out there, two totally different human beings in that Charlie Strong tried to, you know, enact this weird thing where you're not supposed to bring a gun to practice. And so that- I think it's called character. Like, <laughs> yeah. From Charlie Strong Texas. is a human being and Tom Herman's a douchebag, but and it's fine. Tom it's Herman awful. is like well-known for his strip club antics. So, so remember how we talked earlier about like, about, you know, teams that understand how to win and teams that don't understand how to win. Oh, my God, Iowa State finishing with a top 10 team. Not great for anyone not named Iowa State. No. Boy, have they gotten bold. They have, and, and listen, like, it's fun to be good, and I respect it, and I appreciate it. I'm really happy for Levi. He's a good friend of mine, and I adore him. But, oh, my God, have they gotten loud. Wow. Here's the thing, though. You would have thought. Like, I love Iowa State fans. Right. Like they are so hopped up on Bush Light that like it I can't take them seriously. Why break yeah. light? <laughs> Why yes, beer is in the name of the blog. Like that's all you have to know I love about that. Iowa I love State them. fans. I love and I love Wide Right Natty Light. Great blog. Mm-hmm. They're in, they do incredible things over there. Don't be nice. <laughs> no, I will yeah, be, nice. be nice. I will be Sorry, nice. I, I think I de- de- but I will. Being I will be nice to almost every non-Texas Big Twelve school. <laughs> Texas Tech, Baylor, and Texas can all suck it, though. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, if we want, to, if we want to skip oh, wow. over Levi's alma mater uh, while we uh, in that 2014 year, how did it feel waking up December seventh? For selection Sunday. Oh, can we? Can we? Okay, so so taking the knee, we take a knee at the ten yard line to preserve mm-hmm. a fifty-five to three win the Saturday before that game, and I left that day. We were all booking flights, um, putting flights on hold for the national championships for the playoffs. Um, we knew it was inevitable. Like TCU was one of the top four we're teams in the three. country. Nobody At was playing point. better for them. Yeah, number three. Nobody's playing better than them. Um, we're watching the 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 Ohio State Wisconsin score, but we're not really worried about it because TCU's playing as well as anybody in the country. And I go to bed that night with a bunch of flights and hotels and everything on hold, and and just feeling like like this is the moment. And I remember I'll never forget the feeling of watching that show and the impending dread. It was just swelling inside of me. The minute I saw that Wisconsin-Ohio State score, I kind of knew. But I, I was in denial, and I really thought we had a shot because we were just playing so damn well at that point. And I watched it in my room, in my bed, with the lights off. I didn't turn the lights on that entire day. I didn't leave my bed. I, I, I don't even know if I ate. My mother, who does not follow college sports, 
knows nothing about them, called me that afternoon and just said, I just want to make sure you're okay. I was like, I'm not okay, mom. I'm not okay. And I hung up and I think I legitimately sat in my bed and cried for like six hours because I just, I never, like someone, I felt like my heart had been torn out of my body and that like the promise of something so special and so unique and so wonderful had just been taken away completely out of my control. And it was just a terrible, terrible feeling. Like I, here's, here's where I stand on it. So once again, I found myself in a church setting receiving bad TCU football <laughs> news because worship had just ended. And at my last congregation, all of the ministers would go to like the back doors of the sanctuary. We had four of them and they would shake hands on the way. It's a common end of church scene. And so everyone's shaking hands. And I knew that the selection show had happened. And I had this, I just had a weird gut feeling that TCU was going to get screwed because uh, you know, again, TCU, you can never get too high. You can never be too confident because something bad is, is probably going to happen. Um, and so I see a guy, coming up to me who always loves to talk about TCU and from like 20 feet away, as I'm shaking someone else's hand, I say, I don't want to know what I don't, I don't want to know what happened. I don't want to know about the, the rankings. I, like I'm in a church setting. I need to be present and that will throw me for a loop. And so he waits in line and when he gets to me, he goes, they dropped us from three to six, shakes my hand and just walks out the door. Oh. And okay. I've, I've still got like, I've, I'm, I've still got a line like 50 deep of people that I'm like saying, thank you for being here this morning. It's really, it's really great that you chose to, to give us your time uh, to worship this morning. Like, thank you for being here as a part of this faith community, uh, being like so pastoral. Um, and I'm just, I, Part of me was devastated and crushed. And part of me felt like, yeah, I knew this was coming because TCU doesn't catch breaks. We just don't. Uh, and Ohio state winning 50 to nothing or whatever it was that kind of sealed our fate. My issue ultimately is not with Ohio state. I think they deserved to be in the college football playoff that year. They proved it, right? They won the title that year with Cardell Jones as their third string quarterback. Like, 12th. congratulations. Zeke was on that team, right? Like, as a Cowboys fan, I love Ezekiel Elliott. They they deserved the title that year. You they do? deserved to be in. As eh. a Cowboys fan, you love Ezekiel Elliott? You don't think he's the most overplayed player of the NFL? No, that's Jalen Smith. Anyways. Um, hey, Ooh. be nice. <laughs> Look. Two of the three. Notre Dame. He lost cool. one leg in college. Yeah, and he still plays like it. Anywho, um, <laughs> shout out to him for recovering and signing a contract and getting paid more money than I will ever, ever yeah. imagine. Yeah, good for him. Jerry Jones um, sucks, but whatever. Also, yeah, anywho, moving on. Um, my <laughs> issue, my issue is with Tactical Florida State. There. Thank you. Pastoral decisions, I might say. Yeah. My issue is with Florida State. Undefeated, reigning national champion, Florida State, who everybody knows is dog water. Like, they are bad. And they've managed to navigate the ACC in a way that gets them undefeated. And so they have to be in, right? 
if they have to be in and you know that you're going to put a Big Ten champion Ohio State in over TCU, there is no reason to ever even put us at three. None whatsoever. Because all you're doing is setting yourself as the college football playoff committee up for criticism. That's all you're doing. Put us at five, put Ohio or put us at four, put Ohio State at five, and then switch us when the games happen. And I don't think TCU fans can complain nearly as much. I think we'll still be pissed, but we'll also say we can't really complain. But you put us at three ahead of Florida State, ahead of Ohio State, ahead of Baylor, who beat us, whatever, right? And then you drop us behind all three of those teams after a 52-point win? There is no logic in that whatsoever. None. And I think that is the thing that will always rub TCU fans the wrong way about the college football playoff system. It's like you had an opportunity to set things up. Like you, if you already knew who the four were going to be two weeks out, set it up. Right? Even if it doesn't quite make sense in week 13, set it up. But they didn't do that. I think they also, they like early on with the playoff, they also did that a lot more so that people like watched the shows week to week. Too. I, think, yeah. I think that you, you in particular were like victims of circumstance there. Well, <laughs> if you guys, you guys obviously aren't bitter or anything still, but you have one yeah. other, uh, you have one other person you can deflect anger at that Florida state team should have lost remember at home to Notre Dame to the phantom yes pass interference yeah. yes uh so you can also push your blame towards ACC officials two two phantom Notre pass Dame. interferences or no call PI related incidents kept yeah. TCU out of the college football yeah. playoff should we turn our attention to the Peach Bowl because I believe that yes. Ole Miss had DK Metcalf and AJ Brown on that Ole Miss football team um, I don't think either of them and played. That shark defense. That shark defense. Land shark. Land shark. Land shark defense. Yeah. Um, I have never been more proud of a TCU football team than I was after that football game in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Because oh, that was you, fun. That was a fun weekend. You know how earlier we talked about there are two different ways that you can handle winning. We gave you the Baylor and the TCU comparison. There, there are also a variety of different ways that you can respond to adversity and Baylor and TCU were both presented with opportunities to respond to adversity after the college football playoff had made their committee had made their decision. And, uh, you know, sitting there at five and six Baylor at five TCU at six, uh, the co big 12 champions in 2014, Baylor chose to whine and complain and bemoan the fact that they did not make it into the college football playoff and they followed the lead of their head coach in that regard um, with Art Riles being as loud and obnoxious as ever saying that Baylor deserved to be in. And then they got their ass handed to them in the second half of the Cotton Bowl and lost to Michigan State. Mm-hmm. While Gary Patterson and his first national television appearance after knowing that TCU got snubbed stood up and said, we can only control what we can control. And so now we're focused on Ole Miss. Mantra number seven. Mantra number whatever we're at. (laughs) We can only control what we're going to control. And they've whipped 
they beat the life out of Ole Miss that day in Atlanta, Georgia, 42 to three. Bo Wallace never stood a chance. Poor Dr. soul. Bo. <laughs> poor, poor Bo Wallace missing. I, I mean, I, I correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think DK Metcalf or AJ Brown played, played in that game. I think they were both banged up. And so he's working with receivers Treadwell, three, man. four, and five. Oh, he, yeah, he's got Laquan Treadwell. Okay, very good. Uh, what happened to that man's leg is horrifying, mm. or he would be. Mm. He's probably still in the conversation with DK Metcalf and AJ Brown right now. I think. Um, but to just watch TCU come out in the Peach Bowl, and the like, second play from scrimmage that they run is the double pass. Colby Listenby throwing a touchdown to Aaron Green. <laughs> Tim Tebow calling it. Yeah, Tebow, Tebow, number three man in the booth. It's a double pass as Boykin is throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage to to Colby. And then you put CCU up seven to nothing, and then they just literally never look back. Ole Miss kicks a field goal like halfway through the third quarter to not be shut out. And, you know, Boykin has another highlight real play where he pump fakes a throw to juke out two defenders and then he runs like 15 yards upfield for all of the, what could have been for 2014, the peach bowl as an exclamation point on an incredible season was, was a really, really nice thing. I think. And, and and more importantly than the game, first time in my life, I ever had Patty Van Winkle and I got one of the best meals of my life. at that show. So, you know, so literally the opposite um, of your Waco experience. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was a great game. It was a great experience. It was I mean the Ole Miss fans were so cocky heading into it as an SEC team. Um, obviously would have much preferred to go to the college football playoffs, but as a consolation prize, it was pretty damn good. Uh, mm-hmm. I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun at Atlanta on New Year's Eve. We we had a blast. Like it, it was a, a really great experience, and and like you said, it was it was a team that could have rolled over and and just said the hell with it, but instead decided to, to remind everybody just how good they were and, and set them up for a number two preseason ranking heading into 2015 and, and everything that followed with that. Because I know we've we've gone long at this point. Um, so how are we doing? Yeah, how are this, you guys this doing? Was, this was, yeah. I mean, I'm not, guys, it was dry January for yeah, me. I'm with you. You're, you're doing well. Like, so I had a I, fresh glass for 2015 sounds I'm gonna, awesome. All right. I'm going to pour. All right. I'll start this. Hang on. Give you the ASMR experience here. (laughs) (laughs) It moved. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, 2015 was such a weird year for TCU football because more people got hurt that season than like the five prior seasons before combined. And it was important people too. Like Boykin got hurt. Doxon got hurt. Listenby got carted off the field multiple times that season. Our number two wide receiver. We lost linemen. We lost linebackers. We lost safeties. We lost a kicker. Like everybody was down for the count. I'm pretty sure Gary Patterson missed a game because he was sick in 2015, right? And we still <laughs> managed. You ran out of quarterbacks to transition to safety. It's true. <laughs> like we... we I'm surprised they didn't call up Melissa to come play quarterback at that point. You know, well, they I, did, granted, but I turned him down. Fair. She blocked him. <laughs> she that was the that was the leverage she needed to get us in the press box. So, you know, she used it for that. But 
the the thing the two things that will stand out to me about 2015 are Oklahoma State in Stillwater and Baylor in just the worst weather conditions you could ever possibly imagine. TCU undefeated going into Stillwater. Everybody's still healthy at this point, and everyone's like, "TCU's going to win this football game. They're gonna they're on they're on a mission to make it to the college football playoffs this year." They roll into Stillwater and just get absolutely beaten to death. Like they they lose this. Boykin throws, I think, four interceptions. He looks terrible. Dachshund fumbles at once. I think that's the game he got hurt. He got hurt. He broke his yeah. wrist that game and everything. Like it, we started out fine, and then Doc breaks his wrist, and everything just kind of went downhill from there. It's true, and you know, then the rumors start to come out about how Boykin snuck out of his hotel and was out until four o'clock in the morning. It was an eleven a.m. game, and it's like, all right, well, he's a college student, right? And this obviously was a rough game for him, but it's also probably not the first time that any of these guys have broken curfew. Mm. So, you know, we let it slide. Um, little did we know yeah. <laughs> that it would become a trend for him. Um, but that game stands out to me because that it, it didn't hurt as bad as the Baylor loss in 2014 did, but it stung in a different way because you almost felt betrayed. And Melissa made a really good point earlier. It's like, we have to remember that these are just still they're 18 to 22 year old kids. They're in a structure and a system that puts a lot of expectation on their shoulders. And there's a lot of accountability there as well, but ultimately they're, you know, their brains are still literally developing. Um, and so there's gotta be, I think some latitude there, but that game's that game sucked for a variety of reasons. The most of which is like, well, if, if history, you know, has any in, informs the president in any kind of way, that loss means the TCU's out of the college football playoffs. Like it's just not going to, it's not going to happen for the frogs again in 2015. Um, but then, you know, to finish the season and, and I know Melissa had a similar experience to me for this game too, because I think we were both well, there before, before we jump to Oregon, we, we need to talk about the at Oklahoma game for Kyle. Because, oh, right? I was going to talk about Baylor. I was going to talk about Baylor. Oh, yeah. yeah but, so even, even before, so, so I think the last three games of that season. Kyle, are, man. Are talking about. Yeah, Kyle sucks. Do we get him off the call? Uh, all right. So, I, let, I yeah, so, let's talk about Oklahoma, Kyle. Let's talk about how. So, yeah. So I, I went to that game. I had a friend call me. Grant Colehausen. Yeah. Third. No, no, no. Third string. No, this was a game, too. Foster yes. Foster started that game and was garbage. God. And so Bram comes in. Like Foster threw the like the worst pass I've ever seen the college football quarterback throw. You know that you know that game you air. You know that game you play as a kid? Yeah. Jackpot. Three flies up. Yeah. Three, yeah. Where you just, three you, flies up, but. One of you just throws it as high into the yep. air as you possibly yep. can and you shout out a, a dollar amount. Yep. That's what Foster Sawyer was doing in the first half of the Oklahoma yeah. game. I teach at the SBC for football. Like I, I knew we were going to have some problems. <laughs> I, I knew what, what playing in that high school league means. And so right. I was not surprised to see that performance in Oklahoma. But I drove up to that game last minute because a friend called me. And she was like, I've got a ticket for you if you want to come up. And I was like, no, I'm not going to come up. And so I hung up. And then she called me back an hour later. She was like, get your ass up here. And so I drove to Oklahoma last <clears> minute, went to that game. Was as miserable as I've ever been at a football game because it was cold. And took us an hour to get to our seats because apparently they only have one walkway in that stupid stadium. 
And oh, the first half of Oklahoma fans. Yeah, only for visitors. <laughs> well, no, we had we had home seats. We had Dr. Horton seats. We were we were living large that game. I was fifty yard line, like twenty five rows up. I mean, we had the only reason I went because I had awesome seats. Um, a friend of mine hooked my hooked me up, but. Like the first half of that game, oh my God, the Oklahoma fans were jerks. And the second half, the TCU really? started falling back into it. Oh God, they were they were enjoying this because you know we beat them the year before. Right. And so this is the payback. Uh, this is the payback. Foster Sawyer. And, oh no. no. Yeah. So and then if, if you have true Oklahoma fans, they're going to be gracious. If you have our students, I'm sorry. Fair. No, these were these were donors. Like, these were like I said, these were good seats. These were not student seats. These were uh, these were grown grown men and women, and it was like it wasn't bad, but they were being jerks. They were oh, you guys thought you were so good, ha ha! And then all of a sudden, we start coming back, and all the the tone changes really quickly. Yeah. Oh, you thought and you were so good, good. like we hadn't lost good. our starting quarterback yeah. and a first round draft pick wide receiver. Yeah. Before well, that. Foster did have good flow. Man. So this was a lot. We're looking at we're looking at him now. He looks like yeah. he's uh, going to debut mm-hmm. on the next season of Southern Charm. Yeah, he's very, very another pretty pretty quarterback. Yeah, a, no one has ever pro. looked like more of a Foster Sawyer than Foster Sawyer. Exactly. <laughs> Somehow, oddly, he still Steve, has two first names. Yeah, he and he's a sweet uh, kid. Very very nice. Does a lot of great things in the community. Mm-hmm. Very involved in charitable work. Like, really grew up another five good from human campus. being. Yeah, great human being. Mm-hmm. I have. This I know is, some of his This is a pro well. Foster Sawyer. Yeah, yeah, but yes. but not Absolutely. that game. He was bad in that game. But he struggled. But that moment of Gary Patterson deciding to go for two. I mean, that that's not a Gary Patterson move. You know, like this is the most conservative coach you've ever seen in your life. And that that moment, and I think every single TCU fan watching that game thought the right decision was to go for two. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't for a fingernail of a sooner player, that's a, that's a completed pass. And that's where the legend of Graham Kohlhausen started to ferment. It didn't grow. It didn't. It wasn't there. It wasn't existed. But it started no. to ferment a little bit in Norman, Oklahoma on that night. And I, I remember driving home. So it was a night game, and I drove home that evening. I didn't, I didn't want to stay overnight. And just thinking, that was fun. That stuck. But that was fun, and I, all of a sudden, kind of my disappointment of the the you know two weeks prior against Oklahoma State was lifted a little bit, and heading into that Baylor game, um, I, I felt pretty good. That would not go well. That game would not go well for me. So I'm going to let Jamie start, and then I'll, I'll fill in my personal experiences. It was not a good night for me. I, heading into the Baylor game, I had walking pneumonia and bronchitis, oh. and I was heavily medicated, and did some fireball shots before that game. <laughs> whatever it takes. Mantra number eight, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Um, yeah. And you know, so I didn't think have about bulking pneumonia and then do shots. I mean Yeah, know, so so I, I went to that that Oklahoma game. The next morning I left to go on a class trip with our freshman class at my school I teach at. And so and it was cold as shit at the place we were camping out outside of Austin. And so I went from sitting in the cold in Norman to spending five days in the cold, the rain outside of Austin at this camp to showing up for that Baylor monsoon game. I was sick. I was medicated. I was on a ton of antibiotics. I was still going to that game. And then, I, like, you know, I'm a, I'm a, in my 40s, single woman with no children. And one of my last, think, like, married, like, one of my last friends not have kids and told us that she was pregnant that day. So there may have been some like self pity drinking happening at that tailgate. Fair. Um, you got to yeah. do what you got to do, right? Like, do. Friends are going to celebrate. Gary, 
mantra number eight. And so it was kind of a self-pity moment. One of my friends had some fireball and we started doing pulls from the bottle. I was too old to do that. I mean, I was, I was in my late thirties at that point. And um, I was in the stadium for part of the game. I'm not going to tell you how many actual snaps I saw of that game, but I was there. Yeah. I don't, I won't say where I was. I won't say how many times I threw up in the stadium. I won't mention any of those things, but that's the last time of my life that I've ever been like what I would consider like college drunk. And it was bad. And it was a, it was a learning moment for me, but we won the game. And I guess that's really all that matters. Right? Like we were there part of it. I, I don't know. JB, did you make it through all uh, two overtimes? In the monsoon? I did. I did. So I lived in Dallas still uh, in 2015. And I drove over for the football game, tailgated for the full five hours ahead of time in the dry. You know, there are different kinds of rains, right? Like there yeah. are, you have your drizzles and your mists. And then there's like your dry, like driving rain. Like it's pounding. It hurts to be in it. Uh, that was the kind of rain that was happening yeah. in Fort Worth for this football game. And the wind chill was like 23 degrees. It was cool freaking miserable. We literally lit the grill just to have heat at the tailgate under a tailgate tent with sides on it. We started an open fire to stay warm. Yeah. And so and you were soaked to the bone. You were soaked to the bone. It didn't matter mm-hmm, what you did. Like, mm-hmm. I had everything was wet all the time. I had layers. I had long johns under my jeans and my jeans were under my ski pants. I had long sleeve shirt under my ski jacket. Um, un- like a long sleeve shirt, a hoodie and my ski jacket. And I was soaking wet before the game even started. So we get in there. I, I stayed the whole game. I remember the majority of it. Um, <laughs> I drove back. I got back to my car, which I had parked in like a neighborhood off the off. This is like getting into after dark stuff here, but I I had parked into a neighborhood. I get back to my car. I literally just take all of my clothes off, put them in the back seat and drive back to Dallas completely naked. I like with the heat turned up to like 95 in my car because I was, I was so cold. It hurt. Like, I couldn't feel from my knees down. TCU won this football game in double overtime thanks to a shout-out to Ty Summers, now Green Bay Packer Ty Summers. True freshman Ty Summers, fourth down stop to keep Baylor from extending this game any further than it needed to go. Um, People rushed the field. I was standing in one end zone at the wall. My friends jumped over the wall. I couldn't feel my legs well enough to scale the wall. So I just stood there. I did not rush the field because I was afraid like, oh, if I climb over this wall right now, I'm not going to land on my feet. I'm going to fall and break an arm. Um, So I I like without the feeling of my legs from my knees down, walked the mile and a half from the stadium back to my car, took all my clothes off and drove home naked. Oh, I thought the clothes off was before. Scaling the wall thing, which is why yeah. you know. No. At one point, yeah, at one no. point I passed Jamie by and he was nude and I was confused. Just, but I just kept screaming. You That's know. not very pastoral. I, I wasn't always a pastor. <laughs> yeah. I was at that point, but I wasn't always a pastor. <laughs> um, 
I, my, I don't know. My experience, my experience of the Baylor TCU game in 2015 was was like both teams limped into this game. It was the last game of the season. Yeah. Boykin and Doxson were hurt. Aaron Green had been banged up. Every, you know, the the list of injuries for TCU went really long. TC, uh, Baylor's quarterback was also banged up going into. The, I think they were on their third string quarterback. It was not a game that anybody envied being at for yeah. any reason. And it started out pretty poorly for TCU. They were down like 14 to seven at one point uh, in the second quarter. And then thank God for Josh Carraway, like the one healthy human yeah. being left on that TCU football team, forced a fumble, picked it up, ran it back for a touchdown. And that gave TCU just like the several ounces of mo- momentum that they needed to finally come back and win that game. A, a Trevon Boykin on one good leg, through a touchdown in double overtime to put TCU up 28 to 21. They ended up obviously getting Devontae a fourth Turpin. down stop. Yes, true to Turpin. Devontae Turpin made that catch, yeah. True, we can talk about true freshman Cavante Turpin now. He had four touchdowns against Texas. We beat Texas 50 to 7 in 2015. Uh, we Chris were winning Boyd after the first quarter. Yeah, Chris Boyd was tweeting at halftime mm-hmm. for his transfer, right? Yeah, Chris Boyd announced his transfer at halftime of the TCU-Texas football game. He obviously didn't transfer, but that's how bad TCU beat Texas in 2015. They were winning 30 to nothing after the first quarter. Anywho, um, that Baylor game, Baylor fans came out of the woodworks because Mm -hmm. at the end of that double overtime, miserable weather football game, TCU fans are rushing the field. Baylor fans are just trying to get to Baylor players are just trying to get to the locker room. Gary Patterson and Art Bryles cannot find each other in the chaos to shake hands. And that's the storyline for Baylor fans. Gary but also, in a win didn't even shake Art Bryles hand. How classless also, is he? Can we also point out that there's no way in hell Gary wanted to shake Art Bryles hand? No, like those two guys hated no, each other. They still hate each hated other. Hated each other, and they because, should because Art Bryles is garbage. Well, here's the thing too, because at the beginning of the 2015 football season, TCU had a defensive end. His name was Mike Tuaua, and he got arrested for getting into a fight with a couple fraternity guys uh, late at night, like one Wednesday night or something like that. Got kicked yeah, off the team. Yeah, one of their dads called my boss and tried to get me fired for writing a story about it. Just yes. FYI. I don't, yes. Yeah. That was fun. That, yeah. Yes, because this was like six months Thanks, into Dad. you writing for Frog's War. That, yeah, yeah, so that's that's kind of our marker for when you started writing for, for the yeah, site. I think so. But, I think so. Yeah. but um, so Tua Ua gets in trouble. And Patterson does not kick him off the team. And everyone's like, you have this track record of holding guys accountable, of making sure that people are doing the right thing. Why aren't you kicking this guy off the team? He basically got into a bar fight. What are you doing? And Patterson says, I, I remember the press conference. It was one of his Tuesday press conferences. Like he normally has every week during football season. And he's standing there at the podium and he looks at all of us and he says, you guys better write as much about this story when all the details come out as you're doing right now. And then he followed it up with, and I'll never forget this. He followed it up with, and you better remember that you spent time on this story when you find out about what's happening down I-35. I-35, that's right. He called out Art Bryles 
at the beginning of the 2015 season because there were already all of those terrible rumors starting to swirl among the coaches about what Bryles was allowing to go on down there. And he straight up named it for us. Not straight up, but he named that uh, we better be on our toes for what was coming next. So, yeah, they didn't shake hands after the football game because they don't like each other. And that's what Baylor fans chose to to lift up as their yeah. you know, ethical argument after that. So does this mean that you don't watch uh, Fixer Upper with Chip and Joanna Gaines? <laughs> I do not. I do not. I'm perfect. Oh, that's such a good show. I'm perfectly no, fine with no, Chip and not. Joanna Gaines. I'm perfectly no, I'm fine not. with them. I hate them. They are yeah, the only redeemable thing about Waco, Texas. No, no. I, okay. I will say that the thing I look most forward to every Monday is Dugas' weekend observation, just to see how he works in hell and Art Riles and to everyone. <laughs> so for the damn Love Tart show. So that's my uh, that's the highlight of my Mondays. You want to spark but, Gary Patterson's rage again? It would be Texas Tech hiring Art Bryles, like the rumors were swirling that he might yeah. do. That would, I think, make yeah. Gary coach for like another decade, and it might yeah. bring TCU back into the national title conversation again. Just the, the yeah, blind true. fury. Not wrong. That that would but drive instead, him into. Instead, they hired ultimate nice guy Sonny Cumbie, who we were very glad to probably see move on, but not super happy to see him at Tech. I, you know, yeah, TCU's going to lose some recruiting battles now because Sonny Cumbie yeah. is at Texas Tech. But I also recruiter. think that I also think there were too many cooks in the kitchen for the offense in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I agree. Jerry, you know, ultimately the beautiful offensive mind of Jerry Kill will lead us to the promised land. Oh, right? shut up. So, oh, this is you, Let's you guys talk about think the some running back recruits that you'll eventually convert to defensive backs? <laughs> Gary will always get those dudes. Those I feel like I feel that like no that's not wants. a serious question. I don't know what yeah. what about me makes yeah. me feel that way. It was only fitting you beat Baylor. Baylor's playing a future tight end at quarterback that game. It's true. That's right. We. It's, but it, look, did, it wouldn't have mattered. It did not matter. Are there any the Are there any quarterbacks in the Big Twelve? There's a couple <laughs> here and there. Yeah, they mostly just play for Oklahoma. <laughs> for Oklahoma, freaking yeah. hoarders. Sorry, or the overrated SMU? Brock Purdy. You can yeah. tell Levi I said that Brock Purdy's oh, not boy. that good. Um, yeah, Brock Purdy's not oh great. boy. Um, and yes, you did just send us uh, Chandler Morris. Yeah, yeah, that's a good quarterback. Yeah, that's a good Chandler. kid, man. He was out of Grapevine, right? If I remember correct, uh, South Lake, South Lake, Island Park. Island Park. Mm-hmm. Southlake? No, yeah, HB. Was it Highland Park? Yeah, it's You know, it's really hard to tell all those, like, really, really wealthy North Texas schools apart. They're all kind of the same, so. They're all very good schools. (laughs) I'm surprised he doesn't also play lacrosse. Maybe he does. I don't know. Look, all um, I know is that I Chandler a, Morris. I teach a private school, and I can say that. So Chandler Morris came from the same school that also brought us Clayton Kershaw and Matthew Stafford. So, like, they've got they've got a little bit of pedigree oh, there. So can't wait be, to hear so about that in the news for the next ten years. So wait, so we better hope he doesn't. <laughs> Did you know they went to high school together. I've I've, I've, I've actually also never heard. Of that. <laughs> Fast forward to the 2015 Alamo Bowl, the Alamo Bowl, and finish this story. Yeah. Of what was the 2014-2015 TCU legacy. Beautiful football game. So there has never been more despair in my own personal life than at halftime in San Antonio uh, in, what was it, early January, late December 2015, 
Yeah. Um, I so as I often find myself in odd situations, I spent I I my wife has family in San Antonio. And so I was staying at my wife's aunt and uncle's house that weekend without her. She was not in San Antonio. She had no interest in traveling to watch football in a different city. Um, And so I am in a city that I am relatively unfamiliar with, even as a Texan living, like staying with in-laws that I don't really know very well. Um, And now my football team is down 31 to nothing at halftime to an Oregon team that just feels like they're dedicated to beating the pants off of us. Also despair because Trevon Boykin is not playing because he's been recently arrested for punching a police officer in the face. We talked about him sneaking out um, and, you know, having some fun shenanigans before Oklahoma state. He had some shenanigans before Oregon that manifested in him punching someone. So, right. Going to jail was in Trevon Boykin's future and is, in his present currently as well, unfortunately for him. But um, the second half of the Alamo bowl game is one of the gutsiest, most brilliant. Nothing could have gone any differently for it to happen the way that it did moments. I think for me, just as in my fandom, Because if anything changes about what Oregon does in that second half, TCU loses the football game. If they convert one more fourth down or one more third down, or if they kick a field goal in the second half at all, right? TCU loses that football game. And so we go into this and it's like, all right, Bram Kohlhausen starts because Boykin got arrested and got sent home. Everyone's thinking, Great. He had an awesome second half against Oklahoma. Almost beat Oklahoma in Norman. This is our dude. And the first half could not have been worse for him. He was terrible. So now everyone's thinking, all right, let's maybe go back to Foster Sawyer. Let's maybe, maybe he won't play jackpot with the football in this football game. Um, Come out at halftime. Gary Patterson is not wearing a black shirt anymore. He's wearing a purple shirt. And Bram Kohlhausen plays like a totally different human being. And eventually, was it triple overtime, Melissa? Double overtime? Triple overtime. Triple Triple overtime. overtime. Runs in for a touchdown. Lead blocker Aaron Green in his hometown of San Antonio. And then Denzel Johnson swats away a desperation fourth down pass. And TCU has the greatest comeback in bowl history. It, it was such it was such a crazy sequence of events because I remember waking up, you know, the day two days before the game, and and my phone was was blown up with text messages and tweets, and I had people, you know, DMing me like, "Are you seeing what's going on here?" And it, when I found out found out that Boykin had been arrested, I you know I kind of been I had so. My brother-in-law works for Stanford, and my sister wasn't unable to travel to the Rose Bowl that year. It was the year that um, Iowa State and or Iowa and Stanford played, um, and Christian McCaffrey ran back to opening uh, a kickoff or a touchdown. And so I had been in L.A. I flew out to L.A. that day that I found out Boykin had been arrested, went to the Rose Bowl, um, stayed up all night celebrating, got about three hours of sleep, and flew to San Antonio the next day to go to the Alamo Bowl. And so I was gassed. I was completely wiped going into this game where our quarterback was out. We were starting 
the walk-on kid from Houston. Um, his father had passed away, and, and, you know, he had this incredible story, but nobody really thought he was a great quarterback. And, you know, Oregon was a, was a highly ranked team and super talented and everything. And so my expectations were low, but when it was 31 to nothing at the half, I was ready to leave. I was tired. I, just wanted, sure. I hadn't been able to get into my hotel room. I hadn't been able to change from the flight because they were so behind with everything. The only reason I stayed for the second half was one of my students was a freshman at the time, and she was performing at the halftime show. And she made me promise that I would stay and watch her perform. And so at the I went at halftime. I watched her. I went up to go talk to her at the beginning of the third quarter. And I stayed. And I was like, you know, after I'm done talking to you, I'm going to leave and go back to the hotel because this is a stupid game and I'm tired. And as I was walking down from saying goodbye to her, like legitimately ready to leave the stadium, I heard the frog horn go off. And so I knew like we had scored. And so I looked, I was like, okay, we made a field goal, 31 to three. That's stupid, but I'm not going to leave. I'll wait and see if we score again. So I spent the entire third quarter wandering around the concourse, just watching through the aisles. I didn't sit in my seat. Like I was there with a big group of people I'd met up with, did not sit in my seat a single time. They ran out of beer. They ran out of water. Um, it was miserable in the Alamo Dome. It was hot and it was sweaty and it was gross. But as long as I wasn't sitting in my seat, we kept scoring. And so then at the beginning of the fourth quarter, it was – I can't remember what the score was going into the fourth quarter, but it was it was reasonable. And we had all the momentum. 31 to 17. 31 to 17. And, mm-hmm. and Oregon had lost their quarterback, and they couldn't even execute a snap. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to leave now. So I went back to my seat, and I sat down, and I watched the rest of the game. And pretty quickly, early in the fourth quarter, you kind of knew that, that this was one of those special moments. It felt like a little bit like that Oklahoma game in 2014. Um, and so I stayed and I watched, and it was a delirious celebration at the end of that. We walked back. It was still raining. It was misty. And there were throngs of TCU fans walking back to the hotels in the rain, just singing the fight song and cheering and laughing and dancing in the streets. Uh, I've never experienced anything like that as a college football fan, like it's different than being at a home game or something, or even a road game. Um, Just that feeling of walking back that two miles or that mile and a half or whatever to the hotel in the rain, nothing was open for food. Um, Like literally Mm. every restaurant in San Antonio was closed. Except for for the Hard Rock Cafe. The Hard Hard Rock Rock Cafe Cafe was open and it had an hour and 45 minute wait. So we we just went back to the hotel um, we couldn't get a drink because there were so many people crowded around the bar celebrating. Every dignitary associated with TCU was there. We talked to Jim Schlossnagel. We talked to Chris Del Conte. We talked to Victor Boschini, like all the important players. Trent and Johnson. The team, Trent Johnson was there. That's right. When the team came back, when they rolled it, I have pictures with the Alamo Bowl trophy. I have pictures with Denzel Washington and Derek Kindred and all these guys. It was every time a new player or coach walked into the hotel, the celebration like started from zero again. And it was just this delirious excitement until about 3 a.m., I think, when we all finally just kind of were so tired. Nobody was drinking. Nobody was eating. There was nothing. that You couldn't get a drink if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was just all like the euphoria of just the impossibility that college football gives you as a fan every once in a while. And it was just. This really, it, it went from being just a terrible, terrible day to one of the most ridiculous experiences of my, like, college fandom, sports fandom yes. of my life. So I was credentialed for this game. So I, I actually was sitting in the press box, and 
weird thing about uh, the Alamo uh, Alamo Dome at, in San Antonio is that the press box is open air. So there's there's no glass uh, that keeps you from hearing kind of what's going on in the stadium. And in the second half, like the, the split of fans was probably 80, 20, maybe even 85, 15 uh, TCU to Oregon. It makes sense. You're in TCU's home state. Oregon's got a long way to travel to, to watch a non uh, CFP football game. Um, Oregon fans were pretty loud in the first yeah. half of this football game. But then you you know Colehausen throws that beautiful pass. Uh, I think it was to Jalen Austin for the first touchdown. Yeah. In the third quarter, like in the back corner of the end zone, he toe touches it and gets it in. And TCU fans finally have something to cheer for, and they sit, they they get loud, and then they're just kind of rumbling. And then another touchdown happens, and they're still rumbling. And then Oberchrome kicks like a fifty-three yard field goal to close out the third quarter, and now it's like a palpable buzz in the stadium and even in the press box, like all of the TCU media are kind of looking at each other. Like the, the frogs might actually win this football game. And all of the Oregon folks were like, eh, whatever, still up 14 for fourth quarter to go. Uh, we'll figure this out. But what people don't remember, like TCU went into this game with a backup slash third string quarterback and a backup center. Oregon lost their starting quarterback and their starting center in the first half of this football game. And so their offense was very clearly thrown for a loop. TCU's defense knew that as well and started to really take advantage in the second half and started to assert themselves, especially in the pass rush because Oregon's center missnapped the ball four or five times pretty significantly. There was a play in the third quarter. And this is what I was talking about earlier when I said, if anything had gone differently, TCU loses this football game. It's like third and three for Oregon. They're on the TCU 45, and they're kind of starting to move a little bit with this backup quarterback. It's a bad snap, and the quarterback has to go down and get the ball. He comes up, he throws it, and there's a guy wide open over the middle running a slant He who catches the football and continues to run downfield wide open. But the play gets blown off because the quarterback, when he went to field the low snap, took a knee and was down when he had possession of the football. So it was fourth and three, not a first down. And that play more than any other touchdown that TCU had scored to that point really shifted the momentum in the frogs favor. And that's when the TCU fans really started to get up and say, Oh, now Oregon is making mistakes. Not only are we scoring, but the the ducks are starting to screw up a little bit. And there's that beautiful gif that kind of still exists in the internet world of TCU fans going ape s, and then it zooms in on like the one Oregon fan that's standing there with his arms <laughs> folded, and like this little petite woman like waving a purple pom pom right next to him, and he's just pissed. That was the play after that was the the cut away to the fans after the Oregon uh, botched snap in that moment, and so. <laughs> So like all of the things that could have possibly been happening to give TCU every little ounce of momentum that they needed, everything swung in TCU's favor in the second half. It was absurd because by the end of the game, when Denzel Johnson knocks away that pass and general uh, or as a graduate assistant, Sam Carter, now defensive backs coach for Arkansas. And I think it was Zarno Fitch 
carrying a cooler of water uh, to try and mm -hmm. dump it on Patterson as he's sprinting away down the field because he's already changed shirts once, right? He doesn't need to change shirts again. Uh, like, I just don't have to drive home like Jamie after Baylor. Game. <laughs> look, you've got to do what you got to do. Mantra number nine. <laughs> and I think it was also mantra number six, but who who's counting? Uh, like just it, the electricity of that stadium, because it was already mostly TCU fans. It was an incredible, incredible victory. That was just so bizarre for so many reasons. Um, and then, you know, I waited in line for, uh, like a Coors Light for an hour and a half at Hard Rock Cafe afterwards, but just a bizarre ending to it, it, was, it was, yeah, that's the pinnacle of my existence was that Coors Light. Um, Cold not, as the your birth, not, not the birth of either of my children. It was that Coors Light. Um, yeah. And, and you guys probably I, got a chance to experience the Alamo while you were down there, right? Yeah, well, of course, I have a picture because... in front of the Alamo, like from on my walk home, we detoured to take a picture in front of the Alamo mm -hmm. Bowl or the Alamo. I mean, itself. Um, I've been there before. It's. I'm not a I... Texan, so I can say I don't find it that impressive. But um, it was really impressive that evening. But, you, did you guys take the tour of the basement? Not I have that night. In the past, not that night. No, I was. Otherwise, you know, occupied. But here's the thing about the Alamo, right? Like, we lost it. We lost that battle. That's why it was a rallying cry, right? It's like TCU lost to Oklahoma State, so they had their rallying cry for 2015. They lost to Baylor in 2014. That's why they had a rallying cry for 2014. If Texas doesn't lose the Alamo Bowl, Texas probably still belongs to Mexico. So every once yeah. in a while, you've got to take an L because it's going to lead to a bigger win in the end. Would the that, outcome have been different at the Alamo if the uh, rallying cry was remember the mantra? Remember the mantra. Remember the 40 mantra. 40 not 4 and a purple shirt. The black shirt wasn't working. There is nothing he was better. Just trying to, he was just trying to look skinny. There is nothing. Neither well, yeah, of those shirts were, were both. I mean – Obviously, they were both like mediums, and oh yeah, man, it doesn't need to be wearing mediums. mediums yeah. He rock, he rocks, he rocks More the tight fit as much as humanly possible. Uh, but I, <laughs> I can't even remember. What I, was say. I can't even remember. I will say that like the, going to the Alamo Bowl twice um, was really fun. Like 2015 was fun, and then we had another just stupid comeback against Stanford, which. Yeah, which which was great. Um, you know, everybody's like, "Oh, Bryce Love's going to run for six hundred yards." Yeah. We, we broke well, him. Yeah, we broke him. But game. so breaking Sanford and Stanford. Breaking. Yeah, my my Christmas present for my brother in law and my sister was a, a trip to go watch that game because like I said, my brother in law works in athletics at Stanford, and and I was sitting in a Stanford section. In the first half, I was just like, the, "Oh, I'm just happy to be here. Thanks for the good seats." guys this is this is great we're losing it sucks and then when when kenny hill threw the best pass of his career to jalen regger absolutely the, the, the perfect dime um this, i will say that afterwards we all went out for drinks because that time they actually had things open and i've never sat at a quieter table and i was trying so hard not to smile and finally one of the ad's looked at me and he's like you can enjoy it it's okay um it, it was great and then we got in the elevator to go back up to our rooms and bryce love was in the elevator 
And I walked in and I looked at him and I was like, of course, yeah. And and I looked, I was like, I don't know how to react in this moment because I'm a TCU fan and I'm wearing purple. And this is Bryce Love. My brother-in-law is an employee of the athletic department of Stanford. And he's also with me. And I just looked and I was like, hey, good game, Bryce. Really enjoyed watching you. And he looked at me, he's like, you're a TCU fan? I was like, yeah. He was like, y'all played well. And he gave me a hug and took a picture with me. And class act, that kid, Bryce Love, class act. Who was it, Melissa, that chased Bryce Love down? in that game was it it was uh it wasn't noah it was because he wasn't around yet it was um no it was was it travin um, howard i think it was robert i think it was robert yeah Yeah, there were some good games he also had four touchdowns in that game kyle (laughs) you are turning the impression that i have of kyle right now is that he is Generic Oklahoma boastful. Yeah, he sucks. Overconfident <laughs> for adding generic at the beginning of it. Yeah, <laughs> it's I mean, the like best shot in of Oklahoma. All. Yeah, just you're very flat, Kyle. Look, like every flat. like every every fan base has their generic fan. And <laughs> it is embodied for Oklahoma at, in this podcast at least by Kyle. <laughs> What I, I will, I like, will gladly uh, carry that mantle for TCU. It's the generic. Man. My favorite thing about it is I just kind of latch on to little things, and so as a as a hockey player, like I never lets go. I I make <laughs> I make my mantra number ten that I'm going to make out. sure that you end up being worse than I am. Like like I'm going to bring you down to my level. That's that's kind of my game. And I've I've done that for a lot it's of the years. The Darian Hatcher mindset. Got it. You know, it's well, you know, it, it's more you know, Darian Hatcher was a physical player, but it's it's more like, you know, one of your emotional players, like your Chauncey Gardner Johnson gets everybody <laughs> yeah, ejected. Like, eventually at the end of the game, you're not gonna be as good as you were at the beginning because I'm gonna bring you That's sure, Jeremy. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Steve Ott. <laughs> Yeah, comes to mind. As a Dallas Stars fan who hated Steve Hott before he was a Dallas Star and hated Steve Hott after he was a Dallas Star, but loved him when he would cuss out players in their home, in their native tongue. Right? This is beautiful. It's a beautiful skill. All right, Melissa and Jamie, to close us out going forward, what is the final TCU football slash Gary Patterson mantra? Ah. Wow. One mantra to end them all, to save them all. Indeed. Mm. Lord of the mantras. You know what it is? Wait, wait, I got this. I got this. You know what it is? Sometimes, fellas, you just got to take a step back. (sighs) That might be it. It But you got to do it in like the game. Well, Well, played hard. You guys, like, one please say that you, that you win by one. Um, you know, it's the title of his 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 best selling single. Oh, that's what I was going to say. That's what I was yeah, going to say. Is like there is nothing better like, than a Gary Patterson post game press conference oh, because God. of just he has screamed himself hoarse by the end of okay. the first quarter. There's not, there is one thing better. Him. There's one thing better, Jamie, and it's a Gary Patterson presser being imitated by a certain shall not be named person who covers TCU. Fair. Squaring off with 
a Coach O impression by another person who who covers CCU. Yes, that is, that is a common. The press conferences themselves is the invitation to the press conferences. Shout, shout out to Jeremy Clark and Billy Wessels of 247sports.com. Wait, wait, hold on. Do. Do, we have, do we have permission to cover that? Do we have permission to announce that? <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, God. Uh, so, yes, we... <laughs> So, <laughs> we'll explain that. Inside jokes are great. I'd I'd we'll love explain, to be a we'll part of one someday. But they they go back and forth. They do a great like a spot on Gary Patterson and Ed Ordron uh, accent like, <laughs> impression. Yeah. Well, you know, go Tigers and um, so we'll get we'll get them all going and, and they'll go back and forth after Gary's left yeah. the room. Um, Man. One mantra to yeah. rule them all for Gary Patterson. I, think, I think take a step back from Gary Patterson's debut single um, as a country music star. It's going to be hard to top that one, Jamie, but I give you the challenge yeah. of trying to top it. So there was, there was one time it was, it was spring ball. It was our first uh, press availability with Gary um, since the season prior had ended. He, and we're out on the practice fields and he walks up. And I can't even remember who asked the question, but someone said, you know, the fields look really good. The practice fields look really good. <laughs> and he that turns around. I've still, I've still got the video on my phone. Uh, he goes, Soja! It's Soja! It's got new Soja installed. <laughs> and then this, this man talks about Soja and lawn care for 45 minutes. <laughs> And then he talks about how he's going to have it installed in the stadium before the season starts. Because Soja, you know, we got it. In, I got it in my front yard recently, which is good because I lay on it all the time because I sleep in the yard a lot. Ha <laughs> ha. You know, like just, <laughs> you, you, you get to know Gary Patterson. Like you see him, and you see he's not always well spoken, and he doesn't. All, he gets defensive all the time, and sometimes he puts his foot in his mouth. And then you also have those Gary Patterson moments where he's just like the most authentic, normal human being you could yeah. possibly imagine who gets excited about the type of grass that he's laid down yeah. for his there's players. Gary and Coach P. Yeah, there's Gary, Gary and Patterson P. and there's Coach P. And and Coach P is 40 not 40, win by one. I'll kick your ass. I'm going to scream until I can't be heard anymore. And then there's Gary, and he's just a genuinely good that. human being who loves to talk about grass, jokes about you know sleeping on the yard because his wife's mad at him, has golden retrievers, and has given millions and millions of dollars to the Fort Worth community in his 20 years as head yeah. coach. So, and spent spent his Thanksgiving and his Christmas handing out food at AT&T mm -hmm. Stadium to people that needed to eat. Yeah. So we we you know it's it's. You can always want to win every game, but like at the end of the day, and, and again, he's made missteps, he's done things wrong, um, and, and he needs to be held accountable for those things. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, um, I think he does truly love and care about the Forest community, and he's invested in it in a way that is much more than a football coach would. And I think it's imp it's important that we remember that as fans too that that he is. He's made TCU what it is, not just as, like Jamie said earlier, not just as a football institution, not just as an athletics institution, but as, a, as an academic. He's helped raise their academic profile too, and and he really has tried to genuinely impact his community in a way that's going to far outlast his his football career, and that's that's yeah. pretty. Uh, I, I think we need to be thankful for that too.
Absolutely. I mean, the fact that we're all fairly confident that when he retires, he's going to stick around and continue to make a difference yeah. in the worth. Like that's, that's rare in college football. And that's a yeah. really cool thing. Gary and I kind of arrived at, at TCU around the same time. He was, he was a year after me, I think. He, he started in 98 with, with Fran, with uh, Francione. And uh, it, it's been funny to watch him kind of grow and change in that role. And, and you know, he always likes to throw seniority around and how long, you know, he's, you know, talking to the student reporters and he's been there longer than they've been alive and, and things like that. But I'm always like, I predate you. Gary at TCU. I predate you in Fort Worth. So that might work with the kids, but it doesn't, it doesn't fly with me. There you have it. That is the story. And these are the college football stories. Was it 100% accurate? Yeah, that sounds right. Follow us on Twitter at the CFB Stories. Also, see all of our inebriated storytelling podcasts as part of the Stories Podcast Network at the Stories Pods on Twitter, as our guests rewrite the past across various sports. Alcoholic drinks are consumed voluntarily by our guests at their own discretion. Please drink responsibly. I like how you guys said he blocks you consistently, so it's always a block, and then it's a, oh, I'll retract that, and then you'll say something else again. Mm-hmm. Jay, I like that a lot. So it's loyal. He'll keep coming back. He'll keep coming back to the well, but maybe unblocks in mm-hmm. March, and then uh, yeah, yeah. You know, he wants us to say nice things about him during spring ball, so he'll he'll unblock us in February, uh, and then after a bad loss, which seems to happen more and more these days, uh, we'll we'll get the. The axe again. We're still waiting for our unblock, I think. But has he ever like yeah. mentioned it in person? <clears throat> no, he's so weird because he does this thing in front of the media when he's doing press conferences and stuff that he'll be like, "Yo, I never read any of that stuff. I don't get online. Huh. I don't yeah. It's like yeah, bullshit. Okay. You read it all. You read every single well, word he, that people write about TCU. Well, to be fair, he doesn't read it we because know. he's blocked you. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Because here's, here's the deal, though. Frogs of War is blocked on Twitter. I'm not personally blocked. He yeah. still follow, he blocked, follows my personal account. Like, he and I follow yeah, each other. Too. But then he blocks. He, it's like a principle thing. So he back channels his way into the content. But. Yeah. My only question from every West Virginia fan that I encountered, and I never got an answer, where do all the people at the hospital park? Because the whole <laughs> hospital parking lot is just tense. It's just tents and garbage and liquid everywhere. Where do they park? That's the question. Uh, hospitals closed <clears throat> on Saturdays. <laughs> right. Sorry. We'll take, it, we'll take you to the other one across state. Uh, we're also getting to the point where um, we need to be careful about appreciating Gary because he's probably going to retire in the next five or six years. And God knows what TCU football is going to look like when he's gone. Do you want to hear a story that you might not have heard before about uh, Baker Mayfield and TCU? Uh, apparently, TCU TCU offered Baker Mayfield out of high school, um, and he was all set and all ready to be a Horn Frog. It was his dream school. He couldn't have imagined a better place to be than Fort Worth, Texas. You know, just all of the stars were aligning for Baker, and he was going to be this great next. TCU quarterback leading them to a title, winning the Heisman, going on to an illustrious NFL career. And then the offer got pulled. And so he had to walk on to Texas Tech 
Now, that's the Baker Mayfield side of the story. I think the real story is more along the lines of, yeah, he had an offer. He was playing TCU along a little bit. And so they finally said, we've kind of got our class now. Sorry. And so he ends up having to walk on at Texas Tech and the rest is history. But Baker Mayfield always kind of had a special little bit of hatred for TCU. Mm -hmm. Throughout his collegiate career, but would and they that, have I, him as that, a safety or no? Because <laughs> Gary Patterson is not Mac Brown. First of all, <laughs> second of all, when Gary Patterson moves someone to the defensive side of the ball, it works. And Baker Mayfield was probably, honestly, too short and too slow to play in Gary Patterson's secondary. As we're friends that with real short little Frodo steps, so <laughs> it's true. And hey. Nobody, nobody dusted TCU harder than Baker Mayfield in the few years that yeah. he was quarterback at Oklahoma. You know, I mean, save big on brunch for mom all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for one twenty nine each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.